welcome to episode 11 of the So Video Games podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we are playing it, we will be talking about it. Today we are recording on December 18th, 2016. My name is Brad Galloway. I am the editor of GameCritics.com and 50% of this here show. With me, as always, is Corey Motley, staff writer and wonderful dude. How's it going, Corey? Oh, I got upgraded to Wonderful Dude this time. That's pretty cool. That's a one-time thing. Don't get used to it. <laughs> you only say that because you know I edit the show, so you're just trying to butter me up. Well, well, you know, I, I, I mean it. I mean, you are a wonderful dude. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. I'm doing well. Excellent, excellent, excellent. As usual, we'd like to start the show with a few minutes of unnecessary bullshitty banter that is not game-related, and I will let you go first. Corey, sir, what have you? Well, I have to break the rules a little, because my banter is actually, like, all game-related this week. It's not... Oh, I know, I know. breaking the rules! It's not, it's not video game-specific, it's just, like, about video games kind of in general. But let me let me get rolling, because this is going to be a slightly ranty... Um, the first... Okay, wait, wait, wait. Look, I gotta sit down. Yeah, I gotta brace down. myself. Right. Got some popcorn. Okay, go. All right, you're yeah, right. Rant, all right, rant. All right. Go. So, um, I have two topics in particular. The first one is, um, I, I don't know if you have this problem with your PlayStation 4 or not. And to be honest, like, I love, I love the PlayStation 4. I was an Xbox 360 guy all of last, um, last console generation. I have a PlayStation 3, but I think I only played like a handful of sony exclusive games on it and right now it's just sitting in a drawer like i don't i don't ever play it so i unexpectedly switched over to playstation 4 this generation and i i I love my playstation 4 i bought the white destiny edition one whenever destiny came out the day it came out um i didn't really care about destiny that much but i liked the white playstation so i bought it and had the game bundled and all that stuff but i don't know if you have this problem but my PlayStation 4, when I'm in the middle of playing games, will just randomly eject the disc. Does yours ever do that? No, I have never had that happen. It is, like, the worst thing. And, like, last night, I mean, we uh, I we finished, for listeners who don't know, Brad and I were both on the Game Critics Game of the Year podcast, which we recorded last night, so be looking for that in the future. Um, but after we wrapped the podcast, I wanted to go play some Doom. I just felt like sitting down with some eggnog and playing some doom as you do at like three o'clock in the morning. So as you do, yeah, as you do. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it was like, it's been fucking freezing in Nebraska here. So I was like, there's nothing better to warm me up than the fiery flames of hell and some spiked eggnog. So I put doom in, I'm like halfway through a mission. The disc just kicks out and the game shuts off. Oh, and, shit. And, and this isn't the first time it's happened. This is like, I mean, it only happens like once every few months, but it's definitely like a thing. And so usually I just like turn it off and I kind of like get a lint free cloth and like wipe down the front of it because it has those stupid like where they're the front buttons aren't like real buttons. All you have to do is just barely brush them. And oh, then, I hate those buttons, dude. They suck. Oh, yeah, I hate they're them. terrible. So, um, so I, you know, I did that last night. I unplugged it. I wiped it down. I, you know, blew it off and tried to, you know, get it clean or whatever. And then I put Doom back in. I start a different mission. And I get about 15 minutes into the mission and the fucking disc kicks out again and the game just shuts off. And so I get online and I don't know why I haven't done this before. Um, I did ask Twitter about it a while back and got some good answers, but I, I just like Googled it to see if anybody else had an issue. And I guess that it's such a widely known issue, however, not publicized very widely, that um, Sony has a page on their site that gives you like some answers to do it. And allegedly, and I didn't know this because I only have one PlayStation 4, 
that somewhere down the line they actually modified the buttons on the PlayStation 4 during assembly to make them physical buttons. But I guess that my PlayStation 4 is so old that it still has like just like the touch button things that don't. Really... Yeah, mine too. Mine too. Yeah. So I guess like somewhere after the Destiny PlayStation 4 and before the PlayStation 4 Slim and Pro, they like altered the buttons, although I've never seen it in real life because this was such a problem. But I came uh, to the conclusion that on the bottom of the PlayStation 4, the little there's like little two little like rubber feet that kind of just hold the PlayStation in place if you have it horizontally. Yeah, yeah. Totally. I, I guess if you have the PlayStation 4 on long enough, the little rubber foot expands from heat and it presses the eject button. Oh my god, you've what? Yeah. That what? That's crazy. It, it like, Are you serious? Yeah, it like pushes into the bottom of the eject button, which is sensitive enough to make the discs kick out. So it's totally bizarre, but luckily you can just pull the little rubber foot off. Like I got, um, I just did it with my fingers. I turned the PlayStation off, took all the cords off, turned it upside down, and I just pulled on the little foot until it came out completely. And it's just like a little, it kind of looks like a like a capital F, like the way it fits into the PlayStation. And I just pulled sure. it off and I kept playing it for last night without any problems. So hopefully it doesn't mess up again. But Oh my yeah. God, talk about like totally random, like, design flaw like how bizarre is that that's crazy that you've got to like if that rubber expands it pushes oh that sounds nuts i would have never thought of that in a million years yeah and somebody on twitter had told me about it a while back when i kind of just like asked you know generally and i had like pushed the button back a little bit like i just kind of like tried to press it away from the eject button and that worked for a while so i thought you know okay that problem solved i didn't even think about pulling it physically off the console but i guess that's what i had to do this time around and hopefully it uh Hopefully it, I guess, um, keeps it up and will stop ejecting my fucking discs right in the middle wow. of games. Well, I guess that's that kind of like a PSA for our listeners. If you have that random eject thing, I guess Corey has solved it for yeah. you. I mean, it's never happened to me, thankfully, but boy, I guess I'm glad I know that now. Yeah, so yeah, if you're listening, or Brad, if it happens to you, because um, you have two PlayStation 4s, uh, yeah, 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 just uh, don't be afraid to rip that little rubber foot off if you don't care about, like, you know, kind of altering your PlayStation a little bit. But this also pretty minor, pretty minor, yeah, not a big yeah, deal. it's not a big deal at all. But this also leads me into my second little bit of banter, and I uh, is this also about ripping off a rubber? No, <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> uncomfortable silence. Um, yes, I uh, oh my god, now you made me lose my train of thought. Um, okay, <laughs> oh, sh- I hope oh, derail. Oh, here derail. we go. Here Sorry. We go. I, I hope uh, I hope I'm going to be getting the factual information on this correct because I didn't realize this was a thing until like a couple of weeks ago. And this also was a combination of me doing research and me asking around on Twitter. But um, I did not know this, but, you know, because on video games nowadays, um, it is 100% common to have physical discs and you can download the games on, you know, the PSN or the Xbox, the Microsoft Store or whatever. I, sure. I, I'd say about half my games are physical and about half of them are digital. I have, I'm not one of those people who absolutely has to have a disc. I know some people out there are like, they hate downloading games. They had, they want to have the disc. They want to have the physical presence. I, I mean, I like having discs, but I don't really care that much. I mean, it doesn't kill me to buy games online. I have a ton of games on the hard drive of my PlayStation 4. What I did not know is that if you buy a disc version of a game it takes up the same amount of space on your hard drive as it does if you download it online, which I had always thought 
that if you bought the disc, it only installed some of the disc information onto the hard drive, so it saved you hard drive space. But allegedly, right, right. it just installs the whole damn game, and which is like 50 gigabytes, like more or less, if you play like, you know, kind of an average AAA game, they're like 40 to 60 gigs. And the, the disc just kind of acts as a key to play the game, which I think is bananas. Like, why... I, I here I was this whole time thinking that oh I'm buying these discs so it'll save me space on my hard drive but like haha jokes on me I had no idea that it actually takes up the same amount of space which I think is kind of ridiculous but uh did you know that Brad well I I mean I've heard that happened with some games I didn't think it happened with all games on a disc I mean I knew that they probably offloaded some of that data to speed up load times um, but, you know, I still hear the disc spinning and I hear that little motor kind of accessing things as I'm playing with certain games. I wonder if that's true for all games. I honestly don't know. I don't know either. And like when I and I could like I said, I could be getting some of this info wrong because whenever I was researching it, there were like some different websites that said some different things. There was like no consistency in what I looked up. But there was a guy on Twitter, um, actually one of my old neighbors from where I used to live. Um, like very matter of fact, I'm not saying he's right, but he like matter of factly said like, yeah, every game takes up the same like the same space if you have the disc or if you don't and like some of the answers online said that too so like i'm leaning toward believing that's true but i i just thought you know i thought that they wouldn't take up that much space just like you said the disc spins um if you're like me and the disc kicks out of the hard drive when it's playing when you're playing doom the game still shuts off i mean i know the disc needs to be there to to play it but uh gosh like what i don't know that just seems like unfair to me maybe i'm just being like a crybaby but i feel like if you buy the physical disc it should not take up the same amount of space on your hard drive as it does if you download the whole game online well i wonder i want so i'm definitely not an expert in this i mean despite having played games for all these years and being a critic i'm not really that interested in the technical side of like how these things work like i'm just more about the experience and playing the game and so forth and so on but i do kind of wonder is it that it reserves a certain amount of space just to kind of like give you the necessary access and it doesn't install everything? Like, like for example, does every game like mandatory install like two gigabytes or whatever? You know, just what I was making that up. But like, is that the same as kind of like a placeholder on the hard drive for that game to be there? Or does it actually literally install the entire thing? I don't know. That's something we should find out. But I'll tell you what, I, you know who does know? You know who does know this? Who? People listening, because people ah. will let us know right away if we get this wrong. So if you're listening, Someone in the audience is knowledgeable about this. But um, to kind of just tangentialize from this for a second, it's interesting that you bring this up because I was having a discussion with someone uh, yesterday or the day before, and they were kind of taking me to task about why I still buy discs. And this is, you know, since we're talking about discs and everything, I, I had to say that I, you know, I think it's just an old time kind of nostalgic thing. I mean, for a couple of reasons. I mean, I like to see something on my shelf. Uh, that kind of reminds me that I played that game. It's kind of like a trophy of some sort. You know, I can look back at, at a shelf and say, oh, I played this and I played this and that was a good memory and that was cool. And, you know, I like the packaging. Sometimes the box art is pretty cool or whatever. Um, but I had to admit, you know, there really isn't a lot of sense in it because originally I was buying discs because I don't trust companies to grant you access as long as you own that disc or whatever. Or like if you just buy something digitally, I don't trust a company to make sure that you've got access to that for as long as you want it. And in fact, um, when I was uh, still using the PS3, I actually had bought a couple games on the PS3. And uh, I think one of them got removed for some reason and I could not download it again. And another one that I bought was just gone. Like I had bought it and I could see that I had earned the trophies for it. But when I went to go and download it, it said that I did not purchase it. 
So, I mean, I had the trophies. I played the fucking game. Of course I, I had it, you know, but like, you know, truthfully, those errors are pretty few and far between, but I don't like the feeling of buy like quote unquote buying something and then just not having a backup. You know, I, I kind of see anything that's digital. as just like an extended rental, but to be honest, I mean, it's kind of ridiculous to buy discs these days because you buy a disc and most of the time it doesn't even fucking work. You got to get like this gigantic day one patch and then the game is still busted. The developers still patch it. And it's like, you know, there's no sense in playing any game until six months after release because that's when it's finally in its true form. Right. So like you buy this disc and I mean, yeah, I guess that you could probably if you were disconnected from the Internet and hook it up, you could play. But you're missing out on like all the patches, all the fixes and, you know, sometimes pretty drastic changes. So really, it doesn't make a lot of sense to have the disc anymore, but I still like them anyway. I mean, why do you still buy disc? I mean, I I like some of the same reasons you do. Like I have a like I like the presence of them because I have a little bookshelf next to my entertainment center that's all video games. Basically, it's like Blu-rays on the top shelf and video games underneath. But one thing that I also like about uh, having physical discs is this is going to make me sound like kind of a big jerk. And I <clears throat> talked about this. Uh, I tweeted about this a few weeks ago. But uh, one thing that I never fail to find hilarious, and this is rude of me to say, but I'm going to say it anyway, is whenever like a big high profile game comes out like this happened with last guardian this happened with final fantasy this has happened with you know every time some big game comes out there are like a shitload of people on my twitter timeline who ordered the game on amazon prime which is supposed to have day one delivery and either amazon fucks it up or the usps fucks it up or ups or fedex or whoever is supposed to get that game to them they do not get it there on day one and that's like one of the big reasons why i buy a physical disc because like Say like Dishonored 2, for example, that's the last game I bought um, outright on day one because I wanted to play it. I was excited about it. Um, I made sure I got my ass up and I went to Target and I picked up that game because as soon as you order it online, there are like a million factors that could go wrong between the game leaving wherever it's supposed to be leaving and getting to you on time. And I, I know that, you know, you're not supposed to victim blame. Like it's not, you know, the person who ordered it. It's definitely not their fault that the game didn't get to them. But it's such a weird gray area that, like, I, I just don't trust it. If there's something that I absolutely have to have, you like, you can bet your ass I'm going to get up and I'm going to go to a store and go buy it so I can make sure I have it in my hands rather than, you know, ordering it on Amazon. Or, like, some games, uh, if we're talking about digital downloads, too, some games, uh, like, on PlayStation 4, you can preload them. But that's not available for all games. And if you're, like, say, if you wake up, tuesday morning and you download a brand new game and it's it doesn't have a preload capability you're sitting there with 50 gigabytes of data to download uh, onto your hard drive which can take fucking forever but whenever you buy a disc usually all it does is um you, you download the patch which i mean some patches are one gig some are 20 it just depends on the game but uh usually you can just like initially play the game faster than if you buy it on if you buy it online or digitally download it so that's like some of the big reasons why I prefer discs, I guess. No, that makes sense. If there's a game that I'm really hyped for, I'll definitely like go down to a store and buy it myself just so I can play it that much faster. It doesn't happen often, but there's been a few games like that. And, you know, of course, the other thing, um, which I'll be really interested to see how this pans out in the future. But the other positive to discs is that you can trade it back in. I mean, I still trade games in sometimes uh, that I don't play again or that I don't like or whatever. And it's nice to be able to get at least some money back for those. I mean, I think. 
I mean, this is like a whole other discussion. We're kind of getting pretty <laughs> derailed here. But, um, you know, I think the consumer protections in America for video game, uh, video game purchasers is really terrible. I mean, people who buy games get the shaft. And, you know, most more often than not, if you buy a game, you're just you're, you're stuck with that game no matter if you like it or don't. So I do appreciate that if I have an actual disc, I can trade it back in. I am curious to see if we're ever going to get to the point where we can, you know, buy and sell licenses uh, digitally. I mean, that would be kind of a cool thing if that would ever happen. I mean, obviously, a lot of challenges involved in that. Uh, but it's something to consider. I just think that uh, the whole idea of you bought this, it's yours no matter what. It's just really, really shitty. It doesn't offer very many protections. And I think it lets a lot of developers off the hook. Um, if you had bought a game that needed like this gigantic patch on day one and you weren't able to get that patch, then you bought a busted game. You should be able to get your money back for that. And in most cases, you can. So at least with a disc, you can, you know, there are certain retailers or stores or you can just trade with people or go on eBay or something. You can somehow get some money back, which I feel like is a better protection than nothing. So that's another factor. But anyway, man, we are getting we're getting way in the weeds on this thing. Anyway, but discs, I'm still gonna buy them though, regardless. You still gonna buy them? Oh, totally. Yeah. Solved. Solved. All right. So Let me jump into my banter yeah, real please. quick, and we're gonna up, get like, rolling a with the show. Of our show with my banter. So uh, that was that was good <laughs> chat though. That was good chat. Um, just really quickly for my banter. Uh, I guess I guess somewhat also game related. Uh, so I'll bend the rules a little bit myself. Uh, we're recording the show right before I'm going to be doing the Great Game Critics Game Giveaway of 2016. Uh, this show will not be posted in time for anybody to hear it, so hopefully you'll see my Twitter messages or you will have gone to GameCritics.com to get the info that I posted there. Uh, but I did a count. I've got uh, about 120 games to give away, and if I even do like one game a minute, sometimes it takes a little bit longer than that, sometimes less. I mean, that's still like two hours of me sitting at Twitter, just like full-on giving games away as quickly as I can. Uh, really fun, really exciting, but I get, I, I'm getting really tired and I'm going to be really exhausted <laughs> after the end of it. So anyway, looking forward to that. Also, just one thing I wanted to just kind of, uh, throw out there. My wife and I, uh, are really into like doing our own thing, like making our own traditions. I mean, we have some traditions that we bring with us from our families of origin, but we're very cool with just like looking at a situation and evaluating whether something really works for us or not. Like we're not really big into doing something just because other people have done it or, or that's the way you always do it. Like we're always, we're always willing to say, you know, does this work? Does this make sense for our family? Do we like this? Do we not like this? And, you know, we're, we homeschool. And so our homeschooler is very big on asking questions, very big on, you know, why, why do we do this? What's the logic? And I love that. I love that he asks questions. Um, you know, I, apparently it's not a very popular thing in American culture, but I very much value the ability to ask questions and to question authority and to, to figure things out. So we were sitting around and we had nothing to do. And uh, I knew that my son had a couple of Christmas gifts uh, that he would really like to have. And I look at my wife and I'm like, you know, why the fuck are we waiting for December 25? And she's like, I don't know why. And I'm like, yeah, why? Fuck it. Let's open them now. <laughs> and we just did. We just fucking did. Like, that's all there was to it. You know, uh, we didn't have to wait till Christmas. We opened up the I mean, we asked our son, you know, would you like to open one? Of course, he said, yes. I mean, he's seven. Come on. Right. <laughs> not gonna say no so he's like yeah and we just uh opened up some shit and he started playing with some stuff and it was fun we had a great day it was a good time real good day and we uh had a quality family experience and didn't really matter that we weren't doing it on december 25th we just did it that day and it was great it worked for everybody and so i would encourage listeners out there to evaluate your traditions and habits and and see if something really works for you and if it doesn't don't be scared to change it so anyway that's my banter for this week um, we should probably get this show rolling. Let's just, just dive right into it, Corey, if that's okay with you. Oh, yeah, that's fine. All right, let's do it. 
Um, I'm looking at the agenda, and I believe you are up to bat first. Corey, why don't you lead us off with our game chat this week? What you got, man? So, Samorost 3, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, it is a game by Amanita Design, which I also hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. I should probably do a little more research on this. Um, it came out in March of 2016 for PC, Mac, and uh, iPhone, and Android. And it is, I've been playing it, I played the whole game top to bottom earlier this week. Uh, and it, Where are you playing it on? What do you, what platform? I play it on iPhone 6. Okay, cool, cool. Um, and let's see, uh, this is a game developed by the people, the studio that does uh, Machinarium, which is probably their most famous game. It's been out for years. I think it's on like every platform ever at this point. Um, but it's a, uh, Machinarium and Samros 2, they're very, um, like cutely designed point and click adventure games um, with some puzzle elements in them, which is kind of not really like usually my bag. And whenever I originally bought, because Machinarium and Samurai's Three are the only two games from the studio I've played, and I think they have um, like three or four other games, but only the only these two are available on mobile, and that's what I play them on. Um, I don't even know why I bought Machinarium whenever I did years ago. Um, I think I just like saw it on sale in the app store and just pulled the trigger. I think it was like a dollar or two and I bought it and played it. And it was kind of frustrating because I'm not really into um, the kind of like old school adventure style puzzle games because I a lot of their solutions are not they don't really make sense. And you have to be very observant of the environment. That's a little bit beside the point. Um, the main point I want to talk about with Samurai's 3 is the music. Um, they have a gentleman who goes by the stage name Floex, F-L-O-E-X. I think his real name is Thomas Dvorak, or maybe it's Tomas, depending on, I don't know where he's from. Um, I think that's his real name. I hope I'm right on that. If not, then there are two separate people, then whoops. Um, but uh, whenever I played Machinarium for the first time, uh, Floex, who did the score, it's just like amazing music. Like, I don't know why... I like I don't hear people talking about him because the music's amazing. He's a classically trained clarinetist and but he plays a lot of other instruments too. Like he plays the piano and uh just like other stuff. And his music is very um it's very charming and whimsical and organic sounding and it has a lot of um a lot of just like instrumentation and good composition. It's not like I don't know, just like average electronic music. It's very um I don't know, just like classical, I guess, and and nice. And I bought the uh, the score for Samros three months before I played the game. Like I knew eventually I was going to play the game, but I was way more interested in the music than I was the game. And the score has been on rotation on my phone for a while. Usually, if I'm sitting down, like I'm kind of a night owl, so I usually stay up really late. I work late at night, and by work I mean if I'm um, editing pictures that I've taken, if I'm writing, if I'm editing, if I'm job hunting, if I'm doing whatever, um, anything where I'm sitting in front of a computer, I'm usually listening to music. And I've been listening to the Sam Rose 3 soundtrack for a long time now, and I think it's just amazing. And uh, when I sat down to play this game earlier this week, I uh, plugged my headphones in, um, I curled up on my couch, and I held my phone in front of me, and I fired the game up. I bought it like a week or two before I played it. And uh, I had this really strange um, emotional reaction to it that I wasn't quite expecting. Um, like, I'm not afraid to get emotional when it comes to gaming uh, at all in any way, shape, or form, but whenever I played it, um, 
you know, you fire it up and it has the logo screen and then the first world pops up on the screen and it's like the, the game takes place on different planets and you explore little patches of each planet. And the art design for the Amanita games is very distinct. And if you've seen one, you kind of know what the rest of them are going to look like. Um, they look hand-drawn. Actually, I think they very well might be hand-drawn. They're very cute. Um, like the first world you start on in Samrost is very green. It's lush. There's all these little like fictional animals running around. There's no dialogue in the game. So a lot of the, uh, a lot of the emotion comes through the music and through like, the little funny sound effects that everybody makes in the environment and the animals and the noises. But when I fired it up initially, the main theme came on for the game, which I had already listened to, I mean, maybe hundreds of times to that point. And the world popped up on the screen and like I started crying whenever I saw it. It was almost like uh, the best thing I can compare it to is whenever you listen to a musical artist that you love, their album several times over, and then you see them live in concert for the first time. Like I'm, I'm totally like a concert crier. Like whenever I go see a live band that I either haven't seen before, or I haven't seen the version of the latest album I've seen. Usually I'm just one of those people, like I don't jump around and wave my hands and act crazy in the audience. I just stand there like dumbfounded and just stare up at the stage and usually like cry a little bit. Cause concerts are very emotional for me. You're, you're that like quiet dude over in the corner, right? Like you're just not, <laughs> not in the mosh. Well, usually I'm like, around people but not yeah not like mosh pit at all i mean kind of like on the maybe like three quarters back in like the standing room but uh but yeah anyway, anyway. this game had the same <laughs> this game had the same effect on me like just seeing the the beautiful a graphical work that they had put into it and then hearing the music that i already knew i loved kind of meshing together for the first time i got really emotional about it and and the game itself is just really charming. I mean, the the little character you play as, he's a little guy who finds this, like, clarinet-looking horn. And he kind of goes around the world, and there's different things that you can tap on to. And he plays the horn. He listens to the sound that the thing makes, and then he plays a version of that sound through the horn. Um, and it, like, activates the thing. Like, if it's a tree, like, maybe it'll make it grow. Or, you know, if there's, like, a hole in the ground, maybe, like, a little animal will pop out of it. But... It's just such an endearing and charming game. And it's one of those games where like 80% of the time I was playing it, just all the actions that happen on the screen are so delightful that my mouth was just like wide open and the dumbest smile I could muster because it's just, it's so much fun just to see and to hear. I mean, it's really kind of an audio visual experience rather than just a game. Like, I, I mean, you could definitely play it without headphones on or without listening to it, but I think that would take away like half the experience. Um, but I uh, I just loved it. Right on, right on. I, I have not played the uh, this game or any. As a matter of fact, I don't think I've played any of Amanita's games. I think I've bought all of them um, at one sale or another uh, over time. But I've never played any of them. Uh, but I did recall hearing about Samros 3. And if I remember, this is the one where um, he collects instruments or something. Or he kind of plays music to kind of interact with like living things, the environment or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So this is this is that one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. How are you finding it? I mean, I I'm not a big fan of uh, adventure style games for the reasons that you kind of said. Like I have a I struggle with the convoluted logic that these games employ sometimes. But I mean, just I mean, I get that the music's great. I'm I'm actually really curious to hear the soundtrack now that you've talked so much about it. But as far as the game goes itself, I mean, is it is it basically kind of like a point and click type of thing, or is it pretty like free flowing in support of the soundtrack? Like, do you feel do you feel as though it's kind of like one of those experiences where 
like you said, it's, it's just about being in that world and hearing the music, or do they actually kind of put your puzzle skills to the test? It does put your puzzle skills to the test. I mean, anybody that's played one of their games, it's not really that different from, say, like Machinarium or something, because you you it is point and click style so you have kind of like a section of the world in front of you and you tap on a space and the little character will walk up to it and if there's something you can interact with you can uh like maybe tap on like an animal or a flower or something in the environment and maybe something will happen but that's kind of what leads to um some of the problems with the game and these aren't big problems i don't want to make it sound like it's terrible because i think this game is just totally delightful but that it's almost like the environments are so lushly drawn and so well designed that it's hard to tell what you can interact with and what you can't interact with. So like, for example, there's a, there's an area in it where there's like this funny little, like kind of like, um, I don't know, monkey looking uh, animal hanging from a branch. And there's like the little tip of the branch is hanging down and you can like tap on it. And the little tip of the branch like bounces and I didn't realize it, but you can, like, pull the branch up, and whenever it swings back down, it kind of, like, suction cups to, like, the monkey's side. So it, it almost, like, kind of traps him where he is, because you have to, like, tap on, like, a flower, and, like, pollen comes out, and then tap on a beehive, and, like, the bee flies out and, like, pollinates the flower. And it's it, it sounds convoluted, and it actually is. Like, I, I had to look up a guide online several times uh, to get through puzzle areas, because I'm terrible at puzzle games, and I did the same thing with Machinarium, and I'm, I've reached the point with kind of adventure-style games like that where I, I'm not ashamed to look up guides at all, because I would rather use a guide as a guide as it's meant and kind of let it guide me through the game so that I can have like maximum fun with it rather than sit around and not know what to do and get frustrated and then just look at the guide whenever I'm mad. I would rather that this isn't the kind of game where I want to be frustrated. So I just let the guide take me and the game actually does have an in-game guide in the options menu where it has this like cool book, this like big tome and you have to solve this little puzzle on the front of it and like line up these circular lights and then once it does, the book opens and whatever, like, the next puzzle you're supposed to solve, it kind of gives, like, a few, like, comic strip pictures, which is pretty neat because it doesn't give you too much information. And I actually found sometimes that it didn't give me enough information, so I still had to go online and look at the guides. But it's a perfect little stepping stone if you're kind of stuck in the game to, like, solve the little book puzzle and then open it and kind of see what, like, the next place you're supposed to go or the next environment you're supposed to go. And it kind of gives you some little hints about what you're supposed to do, but it definitely doesn't just like play the game for you or answer all the questions so that was that that's kind of good and kind of bad um but uh i i don't know i think it's helpful and i'm not afraid to you know look up guides for it i guess oh yeah i wouldn't feel bad about those i mean i know a certain type of person really gets into like really racking their brain and trying to figure out those things but i mean when i play an adventure game i have to really like the i, I have to like it like and not just the puzzles because i i generally hate the puzzles because i can't figure them out it's usually like I like the art or I really like the characters or I really like the story. If there's some other part that can kind of carry me, then I don't I don't mind getting a guide out um, because I just can't figure stuff out. It's like you said, I mean, I would rather enjoy what the game has to offer, enjoy the good parts and just kind of, you know, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't follow them page by page. But if I get stuck, I'll give it like a minute and then I'm like, fuck it. I need to find out what's going on <laughs> because I just don't want to get stuck. Um, that's not the kind of challenge that I enjoy. And I just find that most of the time. It's it's really difficult for me to kind of get into the same mindset or the same like kind of logic that the developers use where it might make perfect sense to them because they're the ones who made the game. And so, of course, they know what's going on. But for me, I just have never really been able to like get into that way of thinking. And so, like, you know, my solutions almost never 
end up being what the correct solutions are. And I just end up going in circles and getting frustrated. So I just, I just don't like that kind of a challenge. I would rather just, you know, make my way through and enjoy the story or the, you know, the music, like you said, or the, the graphics. So overall, I mean, it sounds, sounds pretty good. Would you recommend it on iPhone? Like you're playing it or would you recommend it on a different platform? Uh, I would totally recommend it on iPhone. It works really well. And I think, I mean, I'm sure there's like tablet versions available too. Um, actually, I'm not positive about that, but I would hope there would be because the, the bigger the screen, probably the better it's going to look, but I actually think the iPhone works really well, or Android for that matter, because you just touch the screen wherever you want him to go. He goes that direction, and then you just like manually tap on the things in the environment that you can interact with, and like little switches you can pull and stuff like that. Um, I had I had no problems playing this on my phone, but I also want to preface it by saying that this isn't the typical kind of iPhone game where you just like you're standing in a grocery line and playing it or you have you know a minute of downtime at work and you're playing it this is kind of the game where you need to like sit down on the couch and play it like you would play like a a console game or something it's not just like a pick up and go play in five minute spurts game which I'm okay with because that's actually how I prefer to play mobile games which is probably different than a lot of people but uh I kind of like just you know throwing a blanket over me getting on the couch and um, you know, putting my headphones in and just kind of sinking into that tiny screen for a few hours and, and playing a game. I'm totally fine with that. Right on, right on. Well, that sounds like a recommendation if you've got a blanket and a couch for <laughs> Samaros 3. Um, we're going to jump over to the next topic, which is me, yeah, as what a matter of fact. Man, not much. I got to say, it's been a really busy week for me, like in, in terms of real life. I had a lot of work. I had a lot of, uh, I'm self-employed, so I had a lot of paperwork that goes along with that. Um, just tons of stuff to take care of. Lots of emails. Oh God. Oh God. The emails. (laughs) I swear to God, I could spend, I could literally spend like all day at my computer just answering emails and not do anything else, which is rough. Um, so I didn't have a lot of time. And as you already said earlier, we just recorded the gamecritics.com game of the year podcast extravaganza. Oh, it was glorious. Uh, yesterday. Yeah, it was pretty glorious. But the problem with that was that we were, so today's the 18th of December. We recorded on the 17th, and I'm sorry, there's still like two weeks left in December. And every year, as someone who likes to play a lot of games, and as someone who really tries to get to all of the critically important games, I really needed those last two weeks. I was really kind of uh, put in a spot because we were recording so early. Um, so I, I was a little bit under the gun, and I really, really wanted to finish uh, a game that I brought up on last week's episode, The Last Guardian. I had just started it when we recorded a week ago, and I had a feeling this was going to be um, something that I would want to bring up for the Game Critics show, and I just I needed to get it done. Like I didn't want to bring it up if I didn't have it finished, and that's been most of my week. Um, I didn't have a lot of time, but the time that I did have, I just would make a cup of tea or a cup of coffee, and I would sit myself down, and I would just be like, all right, we're doing this. And I just would marathon it. I think like uh, the day before yesterday, before the Game Critics show, I think I played it for like five hours straight. And like, that was really, 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 really unusual for me. I mean, it was kind of lucky that I even had that much time to begin with. Um, But it was like into the wee hours of the morning after everybody else in the family was asleep. And I just, I got it done. And that was not really how I like to play games, but it was really important to, to finish it. So let's check back in. Um, The last time we talked about this, I had only gotten a couple of hours into it, and now, like I said, now I've got it completely finished. I did, I mean, not everything. I mean, there's collectibles to find. I didn't get, like, 100% of the collectibles. They're pretty not important. They don't do anything at all. It's just if you want to get one of those fucking stupid trophies or something. (laughs) So I just played the story and went through, and I will say that overall, I really, really liked it a lot. Um, 
when you guys, if you guys listen to us, I'm sure you'll also give the Game Critics show a listen. And I'm not going to spoil any surprise, but it, it factored pretty highly for me in my uh, end of the year picks. I do think it's a great game, although it's certainly not one for everybody. Um, I've seen a lot more people bouncing off of it lately, citing the whole frustration or, you know, like, oh, why I don't get this. This is not fun. Like the Trico, the animal that your partner's with doesn't do what it wants. And we kind of covered this. It's kind of like the... Uh, the game where you just need to kind of be with the animal have to like build that relationship. And that's really the key of what's going on. Um, and I think it's, it's wonderful. I mean, that part is wonderful. I've never seen an animal or even a partner for that matter. Look so alive, feel so alive. Like Trico is like amazing. If you are able to just take the game for what it is, just accept it at the pace that it comes at you and just, just see what those developers are doing. I think it's stunning. It is so amazing. I mean, not for everybody, but wow. If you can connect with that game, I think it's just it's just amazing. Um, I will say, though, it's not perfect. And towards the end, I you know, I got to be honest. I do think it's a little long. Um, the people behind The Last Guardian uh, also made Eco and Shadow of the Colossus. And both of those games are on the short side. I mean, I think Eco is about five hours. Colossus is probably longer than that, probably eight or ten hours if memory serves. Uh, this one, Last Guardian, was definitely longer. I didn't time myself, but I want to say it was at least 12 or 15 hours. And, I mean, I got stuck in a few points. You know, I had to kind of, you know, practice a few things. And it's, it's you know, I, I'm sure someone could get through it quicker than I could, especially if you already knew what you were doing. But I got to say, by the time that I got to the end of the game, I kind of was wishing they had wrapped it up sooner. Like, it never got bad, but there just ended up being some sections where I felt like, this is just you showing off what you can do. And that's great. I mean, it's amazing. It's truly amazing. But at the same time, I just felt like it took a really long time to kind of get where they were going. And where they were going was great. I mean, I think the ending was was nice. It's probably the clearest, least ambiguous ending that uh, developer Fumito Ueda has ever done. I don't think there's going to be a lot of confusion about that ending. Um, it was satisfying. Uh, I think that the way that it wrapped was good, but... It just, it just kind of took a little bit too long to get there. And I don't mean that to sound like a real negative, but at the same time, I, I think maybe being three or four hours shorter wouldn't have hurt it at all. Um, otherwise, uh, I just had a really, really satisfying experience with it. And I think that uh, Trico, that mythical animal that's your partner, I mean, what an amazing character. I, I, I'm so glad that I went on that journey with him and, and got to know him in the way that I did. I mean, just... Magnificent. I don't want to just keep uh, spewing about it because I feel like it's what I'm doing. But yeah, really good stuff. Really good stuff. I'm so glad that this game not only got published, but that it ended up being good. You know, it would have been so easy for something lost in development hell for so many years to come out and be terrible. But it, it is not terrible. It is it is an amazing work of art. So I know you haven't um, gotten to it yet. I know you're waiting on Gamefly. But I mean, are you a dog guy, Corey? Do you do you feel like this is maybe going to be something that you're going to like, or maybe not? I, you know, I really have no idea because I'm not I'm not particularly excited to play the game, but I have it on my GameFly queue, and I, I'm, you know, it might take a while for it to get to me, but I'm definitely going to play it eventually. But it's totally the kind of game where if I play it for a few hours and I'm not enjoying myself, I probably will not finish it. Um, and and if it's you know, and even if it's part of the problem with, oh, you know, I'm I'm frustrated that Trico isn't doing what I want, because I totally understand that. And if I can come to terms with that, then, uh, you know, then maybe I'll keep playing if everything else going on in the world is interesting enough to support me wanting to play it. 
But, uh, I mean, I have, I grew up with dogs, uh, two big dogs, as a matter of fact, and I have cats now. So, like, I feel like that's either going to be a really good thing or a really bad thing when it comes to the game. Like I said last week on the show, like, if I already have two cats that don't listen to me, like, do I want, am I going to want to play this game with, like, a third cat that's not going to listen to me? But because maybe I'm familiar with being around animals, that maybe I will be better for it, maybe? Yeah, it could be. Um, I think that the game can't, it has a lot to offer. I feel like, well, okay, so let me back up a little bit. Um, I think it has to do with like your personal level of patience. When I was a younger guy, I had much less patience. And like looking back on my life now, I can recognize that. And often when I think about the, the times that I fucked up in my life or times where things were not good or mistakes that I made or whatever, if I really think about it and if I'm really honest with myself, I think that a lot of times it can be it can point to the fact that I just didn't have enough patience. Like I got mad too quickly. I didn't give someone a chance to, you know, do what they needed to do. You know, I I can I can point to a number of times in my life where the outcomes of something would have been very different if I had been a, a more patient guy. I mean, part of that is just being young, you know, impetuous, you're full of hormones, you're young, you know, <laughs> you're probably in the best shape of your life, you're getting out there or whatever. But uh now that I'm older, and I feel like I'm definitely way more patient and I have a different perspective on life. I feel like that was really the perfect time for me to play this game. Um, you know, I have kids and I really do my best to be a good dad. And I have uh, a wife and I do my best to be a good husband. And I talk to lots of different people every day. I work with a lot of people from all walks of life. I mean, I work with people from other countries. I work with people with disabilities. I work with people who just I just don't get along with. Um, and I try my best to be like, like a good guy. Like I want to be someone who's really accepting of others and, and supportive of others. And that kind of translates into whether or not you can enjoy this game. Like, I'm not saying you're a bad person if you don't like this game. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I'm saying like, I think there's really a connection between your personal level of patience and understanding and how well you're going to get along with Trico. Um, you know, cause like we said before, Trico is like a wild animal. He's not a tool. He's not your partner from the get-go. Like, you have to, like, get to know him or her, whatever. He's furry. I can't tell. Um, and it's like, if you are willing to let Trico be Trico and give him some space to do that and just just let him be that wild animal that he is, it's just amazing. And I, can, I, I just think that, like, it's almost like a gift. Like, if you can get that message, like, get that message of be patient, like, let this thing do what it's doing, work with it instead of fighting against it, um, I think that's kind of a message that translates into a lot of aspects of real life. I mean, I know that kind of sounds like real, like, oh, super pretentious and a lot of hot air bullshit, but I, <laughs> I kind of feel like it's also kind of true. So I don't want to be too full of myself here because I feel like I'm really swinging that way. But um, yeah, I can get why people don't like this game. And I'm glad that I played it now at this point in my life. Um, but I, as I was playing, I often thought about like, I want Trico to go up this ledge and he's not going up this ledge. This is really frustrating. Okay, stop. This is just like when your son wanted to do this thing and he didn't do it and you wanted him to do it. And what did you do? Did you yell at him? No. Did you hit him? No. What did you do? You let him just, you know, chill out, let that tantrum subside. Maybe you gave him some alternatives and then you got to where you're going and it was all good, right? Same thing. So like if you're a dog owner, if you're a parent or if you're just a really patient person, I think that this game has a lot to offer. So there you go. I bet um, that was actually the way it is like top secret um i guess like master plan behind the whole thing he was like okay if 
all of these kids liked the games I already put out, let me wait 10 years to release this game, and then they'll all be parents, and then they'll be able to understand this game better, and then it'll get better reviews, and I'll get paid more. That is hella meta, dude. I mean, I wouldn't put it past him. If you read up on him, he's kind of a crazy performance artist in some ways. Like, that would be, like, the ultimate, like, meta performance art. Like, this is a game about patience, therefore you will wait 10 years to play this game. (laughs) Fuck, that's... Uh, oh man, that's kind of mind blowing. Actually, God, I wonder if that's correct. Well, huh. you, interesting, you, interesting. You heard it here first, listeners. That's my my that's theory. Right. That's right. Corey cracked it, folks. Corey <laughs> cracked it. So. All right, that's more than enough about Last Guardian. Although I will say, uh, if you are a patient person, please check it out. I think it's fantastic. But enough about that. Corey, you've got something else for us. What you got? I do. Um, so let's talk about the Room Three. I'm on like a mobile games kick this week. Um. I feel like I do this every year where I have like a game that I buy on my phone and I don't play it for a long time. And then all of a sudden I'll like rush to get it in before the end of the year, because I've actually had some off the wall mobile game picks as my game of the years. Like a few years ago, um, we talked about this already, but the game home by Benjamin rivers, who also did alone with you, that home was my game of the year. The year it came out, uh, the room two was my game. Wait, of the wait, year. Let's pause for a second. Let's pause for a okay. second. It's, it's good that you brought that up because we had talked about this on the show earlier. In fact, one of our very first episodes, we had talked about Benjamin Rivers. We did. What up, Ben? <laughs> um, and at that time, I had not played home, but I have played home. And let's talk about that for a second because you did not uh, like it, you jerk. I, yeah, I didn't like it at all, dude. And it was funny because I really liked Alone With You a lot. And we talked about it and it made me go back and play home. So for those who don't know, home is you play a guy who like wakes up in a... I don't know, like a, a, an abandoned house or something. And he doesn't know what's going on. And every time you find something in the environment, it's like a side-scrolling 2D um, pixel-based kind of thing. It'll give you a choice. And it'll say, like, he'll pick up a gun and he'll be like, oh, this was my gun. Or, oh, I don't know whose gun this is. Or something like that. Or he'll find this, you know, bloody rag. And he'll be like, oh, this is the rag that I clean up the blood with. Or, oh, what is this? Why is this rag bloody? Or something. Like, it kind of lets you tell your own story sort you of? like shape the story as you play it pretty much yeah yeah very clever very clever but you know what i fucking hated that game. <laughs> did not like it at all um i want to hear about why you liked it so much can you remember i know it's been a while it's kind of unfair of me to pop this uh up like this but do you remember why you liked it so much what what did you like about well, it? well i think i liked it partially because of the fact that i had not really played a game that had done the sort of narrative design that it did because like you said um Anytime you come up to something in the game, like it's almost like you're playing the game as like a flashback of him remembering the events as they happened. Because like, right, you'll like walk up, like you said, like the gun or something like you walk up to it. And I I remember he'll say something like, did I take the gun or did I leave the gun? And you get to decide like, oh, did he take it or did he leave it? And then the story kind of um, it kind of like bends itself as you play to whatever uh, things you interacted with or whatever decisions you made as you go. And I, uh, and it's also, I mean, it's kind of, it's a very atmospheric game. It's not scary, but it has definite elements of suspense because it's like a suspense mystery kind of thriller, if you will. And uh, I mean, it's the kind of game that I played. Like I said, like I got in bed, I turned off all the lights, I put my headphones in and I played it on my iPad. So I was like, it was like right in front of my face. It was creepy. It was dark. And I was like all in for it. And I remember um, after playing it, I got on the website for it and one thing that I thought was really fascinating about the about the website for the game is that it had a form that you could submit where you basically got to tell Benjamin and other viewers of the website what your interpretation of the story was. So once you finish the game, 
you could get on there and it was all these people who had written these like you know one two or three paragraph long things saying well this is how my story went this is how it ended this is why i think it happened this way this is why i made this decision and this is sort of like my resolution for the character and it was like everybody had a different take on the game and a different um sort of ending or different way that they had played it or different stuff that they had picked up and and people just like really like took it and went with it and i thought it was really fascinating because a lot of games are you know cut and dry here's the beginning here's the end and you know we're going to tie a bow on it but uh, i mean mr rivers definitely made this game totally open-ended i mean like i said you kind of shape the story as you go and i just think like i'm a sucker for stories that end and don't tie things up in a bow and they let you sort of decide what happens or you know they kind of let your mind go with it at the end and this is definitely one of those games and i think i really appreciated that about it huh yeah i i think that the the narrative conceit of like letting you kind of write your story definitely was pretty cool like i like that a lot um the things that really frustrated me or that kind of lost me were more on the the technical side uh since it's like a 2d game it really reminded me of another game that i fucking hated also it was like a horror game and it was 2d maybe you know what it was it was also on the vita um, and it was like, you just were going back like last survivor. Is that what it's I, called? I don't know what it's called, but I know exactly what you're talking about. Okay. The lone, you know what lone I'm talking survivor, about. Another 2D, right? Lone survivor. I fucking hated lone survivor, like hard, hated that game so bad. Anyway, it reminded me of that number one, which was not a good thing. Cause I hated lone survivor. So for home to seem like that game, it kind of got off on the wrong foot. Um, but the thing that I didn't like was, um, there were a few times when I was, ex- there's no map, right? It's just 2d. And even though the environments are not very complicated, I, I did often get confused as to about where I was going. And there's no map in the game. And so if you don't remember where you've been or where you're going, it's really easy to get turned around sometimes. And so there were, I think, at least two or three times when I accidentally went to, like, the next section of the game. And once you do that, you can't go back. And so I was like, wait, wait, wait. I was just exploring. I wanted to go back to that thing. And I was, ah, shit. Like, I totally missed a couple things that I wanted to do. And... When that happened, I noticed that as the game went on, like it was pretending as though I had done the thing that I missed. And like the text would come up and say, oh, but you did that thing. And I'm like, no, I didn't. I didn't get a chance to go back and do that thing. So don't act like I did because I didn't, you know. So that was kind of a a whiff for me. But also, um, I just didn't like being lost. And there's a few times when I couldn't figure out what to do. I was just like really stuck. And obviously, I needed to pick up some kind of item or something. And I just remember being in this one part of the woods where I was going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And with no map, I'm like, have I been to this room? I'm not sure if I've been here. Am I going to the next room? I don't know if I've been there. Is this the same one? Is it a different one? I can't tell. And I just went back and forth and I just got really, really stuck. And I eventually got past it. But by that point, I was like, fuck it. I'm just, I am, this game is not grabbing me. I feel like I'm fighting the game. I'm not into what it's delivering. And I was done. I just did not like it. But anyway, anyway. I'm glad we got a chance to talk about that because I, I meant to bring it up on an earlier show and I kept forgetting, kept forgetting because uh, it kind of ties back to, I think, our like second or third episode. But anyway, sorry to have derailed you. Let's get back to um, The Room 3 Yeah. Uh, on iPhone. Go ahead. Yes. Um, and this game actually came out a while ago. It came out in November of 2015. It is by Fireproof Games. Um, it's on iOS and the Google Play Store for Android. Um, as far as I know fireproof um have only made the room games they made the room one two and three i think the room one was their like debut i think it it came out on ipad first like i think the phones could not run it at the time but then eventually they double backed and made like an iphone version of the first game that could run on like lower uh because the at first the ipad was more powerful than the phone and blah 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 but that's kind of irrelevant i played all three of them and i just finished the room three 
that I feel a little bit guilty about because I really like these games. I They kind of give me something that I can't find at other places. And I started The Room 3 a long time ago, and for some reason or another, I just stopped playing it, maybe because I got stuck on something. And I, I seriously went like probably like three or four months without playing it, and then I jumped back in and kind of had no clue what I was doing, but eventually found my way around. But the premise of the game, for those who don't know, the first game, The Room, it's a puzzle game, and it's essentially a series of very ornate, elaborate boxes, or like containers, if you will. And the point of the game is to... You can like swipe around, you can move the box around. It's basically just on a table in front of you and it's all first person. There's no like character models or anything. And and every box is a puzzle and you have to figure out what little switch on the box will open what, what panel will open to reveal this key, what the key will open. Um, sometimes you have a little eyepiece you can put on that'll like reveal little secrets on the box. Like maybe it'll show like writing somewhere and you have to use the writing to like put a code in somewhere. It sounds silly, but I think it's incredible. It's a good, like, therapeutic puzzle exercise. And it was the kind of game where I would play. I would get in bed every night and play it. I would solve, like, half of a box or solve a box. And then I would go to bed. It's just a nice, like, wind-down kind of brain twister. But with each game, they get progressively bigger and bigger. And in the, by the time they got to the room three, instead of just the game having boxes in front of you, you have entire rooms to explore. So that it's almost like mist. It's like... You're, you're kind of first person in a room and you like double tap on an area and the character just kind of glides to that space. And so instead of having a box to solve, you have a, you have several rooms. <laughs> the game is called The Room. Um, and you, you have to like look around in the environment. Maybe there's like a puzzle box over here and there's a puzzle box over there. And maybe if you solve one, it gives you a key that you use somewhere else in the environment. And it really, this might be kind of, um, kind of, uh, I don't know, I might be stretching a little bit here, but the game, The Room 3, kind of reminds me of the very first Resident Evil because, I mean, there's no combat. I think there's only, like, one character model in The Room 3, but it kind of goes back to that idea of... I mean, because essentially the first Resident Evil game, for a long time, the mansion is really, like, the main character of the game, and the mansion itself is a puzzle that you have to solve in order to get to the next place you know you pick up a key here you solve a puzzle in this room the key will open these three rooms but you need a different key to open those other four rooms and it kind of reminds me of that it's like you constantly have to move through these like isolated areas and and solve these little puzzles in order to kind of open up the next area and go there and solve some more puzzles and i, I don't know i just found it really fascinating and i did have to look up a few um a few solutions online because I I'm not really that smart as I established earlier with puzzle games, but uh, it's still just really satisfying. And the thing that I think uh, that I really like about the room three is that it has different endings. Um, the the first and second room, I'm pretty sure all the puzzles were the same. You solve them and then you get the ending and that's it. But in the room three, I guess there's puzzles that you can like accidentally skip or not complete correctly, or maybe there's stuff like in the central hub environment that you can miss if you're not careful and so there's like three or four different endings and i think that's pretty incredible because you can go back once you finish the game and and explore the central hub more and try to solve more puzzles but at that point the game stops giving you hints because it has a the game has like a five point hint system where um it gives you a very vague hint at first if you're confused and then it gives you four more and they get slightly more um i guess descriptive in the hints but it turns all the hints off after you're done if you go back for the second play and uh I don't know. I just really like these games. I'm really glad that Fireproof is around, and I'm really glad that 
the games get good reviews and that it seems like they're getting enough funding to make them. And uh, I, I'm a big fan. I like everything that Fireproof is doing. Right on, right on. I've actually, I've heard of these games for sure. Um, have never played them. I think partially because, uh, as I have also established, I am terrible at puzzle games <laughs> and being clever like that. But you said something that really made me think and that really kind of piqued my curiosity. Um, you mentioned Resident Evil and the house being a puzzle where you needed keys. I've played the Resident Evil game, so I know what you're talking about. But as you were talking, I was like, wait a minute. What would Resident Evil have been like if you didn't need those fucking keys that were shaped like chess pieces and jewels and whatever the fuck? What if you could just kick those fucking doors down like you can in real life? Like, what a different game that would have been, right? Like, if you were, like, the stars team and you're like, there's a crest on this door on the lock and you're like, fuck it. And you just kick it down yeah. or shoot it. And you went, like, how different would that have been? That would have been a pretty badass game. I wish you could do Well, that. it would have defeated the entire purpose of the game, first of all. <laughs> I, but I, maybe, like, in a good way. Like, maybe that would have been a cool thing. I don't know. Like... You know, I remember being so frustrated at those locks and those weird, obtuse, like, garbage you had to find. For them. Anyway, sorry. we're good. This has nothing to do with anything <laughs> about the room. I was just, like, I was fascinated with the idea of, like, break down them fucking doors, Chris and Jill, because you've got a fucking rocket launcher. You've got you've got a combat knife. You can carve through those little thin wooden doors. Anyway, sorry. Totally not what we're talking about. My bad. <laughs> so the room, the room three, sounds great. Probably not going to play it, but it sounds awesome. I'm very, very <laughs> glad you enjoyed it. Sorry that I... <laughs> derailed us so badly uh, you've got one more thing to cover Corey. oh oh ironic ironic we're going to get to that in one second um totally unintended but before we do that let me just give you guys um a really quick check-in uh for me uh i haven't played anything else because uh the last guardian was taken on my time but i did get a chance to uh do let it die i talked about it last episode or maybe the episode before that whichever i'm still digging the fuck out of this game uh i really really like it a lot i want to give it another shout out uh, free-to-play, third-person, semi-roguelike action game. I'm just having the best time with it. And I think it's one of those... Really, you can get in and out really quickly. Like, you can do five minutes, or you can play an hour. It's uh, as, as deep as you want it to be. And I keep getting new content, new areas, new enemies. It's just a blast. I really like it a lot. I think it's really fun to play. And I'm really hoping that they uh, get their act together because they're supposed to be selling... Uh, I mean, the game is free-to-play, and you would, of course, assume that they want you to kick some money in. They have a very rudimentary system where you can give them a couple bucks for some uh, these crystals that bring you back to life if you die. But that's it. And they're really kind of non-essential. You can it's, it's not a big deal. Uh, and there's this other thing where you can pay the money for like a month's worth of access to some fancy features. Their store is not active. This game has been out for like weeks, at least two weeks, if not longer. And they still don't really have any other way for you to give them money. And I repeat, this is a free-to-play game. Of course they want your money. It's like, man, like, what? I'm I'm just kind of floored that their store is not up and running. I mean, I, I, I wonder how much money they're missing out on because, of course, you know, the, the, the highest period of any game being played is when it first comes out. And it seems to be doing okay in terms of, like, I see a lot of people still playing it. But, man, like, why do you not want me to give you my I want to give you my money, and I can't. It's so frustrating and so crazy, so... Anyway, just a quick check-in. I still really, really love Let It Die. Uh, I haven't given them any money, I don't think. Or maybe I gave them five bucks or something. I'd like to give them more, but they're not letting me, which is weird. They, like, they, I mean, They must not want the money that bad if their store isn't even active. I mean, dude, I guess. It's like you're going to launch a free-to-play, but you're not going to bother to take people's money. So it's just free, I guess. It's just a free game. So crazy, crazy. Anyway, nothing else to say. I don't imagine you've jumped back into it, Corey. Uh, no, I probably will never play it again. It's still on my hard drive, but I doubt I'm going to play it anymore. 
No worries. I figured it wasn't your bag. Not a big deal. I really dig it, though. If you like um, roguelikes or action games, Japanese-style action games, or uh, I hate to I hate to say it because it's kind of a bad word these days, but if you like the Souls games, sorry. Um, yeah, maybe check it out. Maybe check it out. So enough of that. And getting back to my fantasy about kicking the doors in in the Resident Evil Mansion, Corey, have you been kicking doors in in the Resident Evil 7 beginning hour demo? That was like the worst segue ever. Um. That was a good one, dude. That was natural. That was super natural. Um. I uh I know I have not been kicking doors in, but I did. I meant to talk about this last week because we got a listener question about it like two or three weeks ago about um the Resident Evil demo update, and I had played it a couple weeks ago, but forgot to talk about it last week. But um yes, Resident Evil Seven beginning hour. Um, the original demo came out in June, and the last update just came out at the beginning of December. They've been updating the demo with and adding like a room kind of with each update because the first time the demo came out, you could not finish it which was kind of a sticking point for people. But now you can. And I have to say, um, I really liked the the demo when it came out. It felt a lot like PT. It was like no combat, first-person explorational horror, which is, you know, totally up my alley, like I've said before. Um, However, the new update has got me feeling a little less excited about the game because they added one combat scenario, the first taste of the game's combat, and it is not good, in my opinion. But let me let me give you the details so I can set you up for it. Basically, um, up until this point, you're exploring the ground floor of a mansion, and there's like a little upstairs area and a little attic area. And in the update, there was a previously locked door that is now unlocked. And there's a hallway and, like, a bathroom. And there's, like, a gross toilet and, like, a shower that's like, has blood or something in it. And there's a door. You can get a key for a basement. And you open the basement door. And the basement door looks like a, a jail cell. It's pretty gross. And you open it. And you go down the stairs to the basement. You get in the basement. And I'm sorry. I'm totally going to be spoiling this. So if you, like, listeners, if you absolutely want to play this um and don't want yeah to maybe spoiled. jump ahead five minutes yeah, or something yeah I, i'm sorry i'm gonna spoil it but i mean the demo is not very long so if you haven't played it by now and it came out in june then i mean i don't know what to say well but but still so spoiler warning yeah. if you don't want to be spoiled jump ahead five minutes so you get out to the basement and you open the basement door and there's these gross like body bags hanging from the ceiling and it's like it's good it's like atmospheric it's everything and there's a little uh, room in the back of the basement area, and you walk back there, and this, like, monster bursts through the wall and, like, knocks you to the ground. And the monster, it's not, it's, it has, you know, it's like, it has two, two arms, two legs, and a head. It kind of looks like, um, I don't know, it looks like a mixture between the Resident Evil 5, like, the Ouroboros monster, and it kind of looks like the monsters in Resident Evil 6 in the keycard sections, if if people have played Resident Evil 6, you know what I'm talking about. You have to pick up the three key cards. It's like the thing where you can shoot its arms and legs off and it regenerates and blah, blah, blah. But it kind of looks like a mixture of those two monsters. And you can get an axe in the game. If you're clever, if you looked up a guide, like a little axe to um, like chop at enemies. So the monster bursts through the door. Um, and here I am thinking like, okay, well, I have to kill this thing. So I keep like swiping my axe at it. And I'm definitely hitting it, but it doesn't really seem to be doing anything. And then the monster kills me after, like, three hits. So I'm like, okay, great. Like, that was scary. Like, let me try it again. So I basically go downstairs and do the same thing. There's a key in the very back corner of the room that he bursts through the wall in. So you have to get the key in order to leave the mansion or leave the the, the farmhouse or whatever you want to call it. 
Um, so there's no way to get out without triggering the monster. So the second or third time I tried it, um, I thought, okay, I'm going to grab the key and I'm going to run my ass off to go to get out of the basement. I'm just going to leave the area. Well, you go to the door and there's a guy, the guy that lives in the house, the owner, I don't know his name, but he's like the creepy guy who punches you in the demo if you've played it before and gotten to the end of it. He uh, pushes boxes up against the door and blocks you in and he like smiles at you when you try to open the door and it's super creepy. So I'm like, great, I'm boxed into this room with this fucking monster that I can't kill, which I, I was still scared and not frustrated at this point because I knew there was a way to do it. And and then I died again, you know, there, there it is. So like the, the third or fourth time through, um, there's a valve handle in the room also that you can pick up before the monster attacks. So I grab the valve handle, I try to leave and you can still get out. No, actually I lied. If you grab the valve handle and go to the door... Um, he blocks the door, and then the monster bursts out. So basically, no matter what you do, you're fucked if you go down to the basement. Well, I was complaining about it on social media, and somebody told me that you can kick the door open once the bo once he b blocks you in with the boxes, which the prompt for kicking the door open is so small, and your reticle has to be in just the right area, that I would have never known that if somebody didn't tell me. And I've seen other people on Twitter complaining about this, so I know I'm not alone. So you can kick the door open... And, and escape the monster, and I took the valve handle up, and you can use the valve handle in the bathroom, and there's a pistol in the toilet. And so you, you like, drain and, like, flush the toilet, and then you grab the pistol, and you have, like, I don't know, like, five or six bullets or something. So you go back downstairs with the pistol, and even though I shot the monster a bunch of times, it didn't die. So I came to the conclusion that you just cannot kill the monster. I think that's how it works. And... um. And at one point I got the key and I got upstairs and finally I was able to escape the mansion on like my fifth or sixth playthrough. At, at this point I was getting frustrated. And if the monster touches you at all, you get the bad ending. Like you start crawling up to the attic window to unlock it and your body like seizes up and then that's, you, you technically end the demo, but it's like the bad ending. So what, I guess allegedly what you have to do is get into the basement, get the key, and kick the door down and get out of there without the monster touching you, which is a very, very difficult thing to do, and you cannot kill the monster. So I, like, came away with that demo with a very bad taste in my mouth because it gives you a very small, confined combat segment that's difficult, that's actually impossible to beat, as far as I know, with a monster that's not allowed to touch you or you get the bad ending— and it's really hard to maneuver around him because you're not playing as, like, an action hero. The guy you're playing as is, like, a cameraman or something. He's not some, like, army vet. And I... I mean, I, I remain hopeful for the game itself because I, I don't think that combat in the game is going to be situational like this one. Um, but I just do not feel good about this demo anymore. I was really loving it at the beginning of the year, and now I just... It leaves a bad taste in my mouth because of this terrible combat scenario... Interesting, interesting. And just a heads up, we are past the spoiler warning, so people may be tuning back in who don't want to be spoiled. Heads up. Um, I don't know, man. I mean, I wish I could say something about it, but that game scared the shit out of me in the little <laughs> bit that I saw, and I'm not going to play it. And if the main game is as scary as that demo is, I'm probably not going to play that either, which feels a little bit weird to me because I have played all of the Resident Evil games, and I mean all of them, like all of them, literally, literally all of them. So the, the idea of skipping one is weird to me, but I just I can't take that scariness. Um, but what you're describing, um, and I will say the idea of kicking out a door, I like that idea a lot. Um, I think that was a great idea. I wish they had uh, retconned that in to the original Resident Evil, like we were just talking about, because kicking down doors is awesome. But, 
Yeah, I don't know about that. I don't like uh, the idea of monsters. Uh, well, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to spoil that stuff, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, uh, I'm i not big into that whole I am helpless genre kind of thing. Like, I don't come to games for that feeling. I, I'm pretty helpless in my real life. I don't need to be helpless in a video game. I come to video games for for a little bit more control than that. Uh, so we'll see how it pans out. I mean, and and to be fair, we don't even know if this is what the final game is even going to be. I mean, it's very possible that the final product could be wildly different than anything we saw in this demo, correct? Yeah, because they Capcom flat out said that the demo is like a totally standalone experience that has nothing to do with the game. I, I think the, the game is going to like control and look the same as the demo, but as far as I know, the segments from the demo have nothing to do with... Well, I'm not going to say have nothing to do, but they will not be in the game itself. Right, so none of the... You're not that character. That character's not somebody that's going to pop up. You know, you're probably going to be Chris or Jill or somebody, you know. Well, you're not going to be Chris uh, or Jill. As far as I know, it's a completely new cast of characters, I think. Oh, is it? Okay. Have they said that? All right. All right. Well, we will see what happens, although that is a little bit concerning. Uh, That's a shame, but we'll see. We'll see. So I think that's going to wrap our games discussion this week, and that means we are almost to the end of the show. But before we shut it down, we do have a bit of Q&A. This week, in preparation for our very own So Video Games Best Games of 2016 show, which is not tonight, that is not the show you're listening to, uh, we asked listeners for their top three games of the year. Now, you may be wondering, Brad, why are you asking for top three games now instead of when you're actually doing the show? And the reason for that is because, like I said earlier, there's about two weeks left in the year at the time we're recording this. There is still time to play a few more candidates, and I am going to shamelessly scan your nominations to see if there's something that we have overlooked. I play a lot of games. I can't play them all, and inevitably, whenever I ask somebody what's a good game to play, what should I have played, they always have something that I hadn't even thought about, some game I hadn't even considered. So we asked everybody who listens to the show, what do you like this year? And we're going to go run through these real quick, and we will eventually get to our own so video games uh top games of the year i believe probably in the beginning of january so uh cory do you want to kick us off with the q a here what are the uh top three games of our our listeners the first one is ron danner whose twitter handle is auburn rdm uh he says tumblestone fury and seum speedrunners from hell i have only heard of one of those games so i don't know what the first and third one are. Yeah, those are some pretty uh pretty uh un unconventional picks. Right on, Ron. Um next one comes from Hops and Heroes, uh, who has commented before. What up, Hops? Uh his number three is Overwatch, his number two is Hitman, and his number one is Dark Souls three. And next up is Elf Elfijah, whose I'm assuming real name is Elijah. Uh yeah, it is. <laughs> Elfijah Bame, whose Twitter handle is paradigm fallen uh his top are overwatch doom and either recore or the batman telltale series interesting i haven't heard a lot of positive for recore so that's uh that's a curious pick uh next one comes from joshua carpenter who is j scarp on twitter he says his number three is lady killer in a bind number two tokyo mirage sessions and number one trails of cold steel 2 I have never even heard of Lady Killer in a Bind, but it sounds interesting. That is the one from Christine Love where you play as a woman who's impersonating her brother and you end up 
in these kind of weird lesbian bondage situations, oh. and it's also kind of a graphic novel. Okay. And apparently the sex scenes are pretty graphic, from what I can tell. I haven't played it yet, but everybody I've talked to says it was real good. Huh. If you uh, if you like that kind of stuff. Interesting. Um, I'm not sure I'm into lesbian bondage, but it sounds interesting. Well, there you go. Check it out. <laughs> uh, next up is, oh man, this person's name, I'm going to butcher it every single time, Louis Theatro. Um and he his third is stardew valley his second is firewatch and his first is virginia so he must be a walking simulator fan which i am a fan of that genre so uh that makes me happy right on we have uh mike who is ask wheels on twitter he chooses final fantasy 15 and for some reason i keep wanting to say it's 25 i know it's not 25 but those roman numerals man fuck roman numerals but it <laughs> but it's two and a five there uh, Final Fantasy 15, Ratchet and Clank, uh, the remake, and another another vote for Recore. What is going on, Recore? People people shit all over that game, and people are picking it as good. I gotta check it out. Huh. Um, a Badger Commander <laughs> um, says Forza Horizon, Overcooked with an exclamation point, and Kingdom New Lands. I have only heard of Forza Horizon in that group. Man, we gotta we gotta get you into the indie scene, Corey. We gotta get you some education. Yeah, I'm gonna assume these people are like PC gamers that have access to like the bajillions of indie games that we don't get on consoles. And I'm not a PC gamer, so I'm just gonna hope that that's the case here. That that's actually, that's actually not the case. Oh, is it not the case? Well, then what no, what the fuck the is Overcooked in Kingdom New Lands then? <laughs> Overcooked is uh. I think that's the one where it's like a team-based cooking game where you're in these like really stressful situations and you got to work together to serve food. Hold on, is that I've heard it's that's not the is that the what? VR one, the two-player VR game? I don't know if it is in. I know you can play it not in VR. It may be VR. I'm not sure. And uh, Kingdom New Lands is on the Xbox One. That's a game where it's like a side-scrolling. Um, I haven't played. I bought it, but I haven't played it. It's like you you're like a guy protecting a kingdom you run back and forth on your horse like collecting money and helping villagers out it looks i'm doing a terrible job of describing it i'm so sorry um but it looked really cool um I, i'm i'm happy to hear that he picked that because i i like i said i bought it but i haven't played it yet so uh next one comes from santa skooks who is the skooks on twitter uh uncharted 4 doom and kirby planet robo bobo 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 bot um Next up is Mikey, who is past them sticks on Twitter. This is a person person that I actually know in the group. Um, his third is Quantum Break. His second is Xenoverse, and his first one is Final Fantasy fifteen. And I have to say, I don't want to be an asshole, but um, I'm going to be for a second. Uh, I feel like Quantum Break is a terrible game, and I feel like a lot of people forgot that it came out this year because it came out early. And I'm shocked that that's his third game of the year. Oh, shots fired. What up, Mikey? Yeah, sorry, Mikey. You're getting called out. You're getting called out, son. <laughs> uh, <laughs> next is Laughing Buddha, who is a Laughing Buddha on Twitter. Uh, Call of Duty Infinite Warfare is this person's number three. Forza Horizon 3. Boy, another another shout out for Forza. Uh, is their number two? And number one, Titanfall 2. You know, speaking of Call of Duty, um, I didn't realize it until earlier today, but they're having like a free Call of Duty thing right now on playstation weekend yeah and yeah. the cool thing about it is you actually get access to two campaign missions because i don't give a single fuck about multiplayer ever in video games i mean for the most part 
And so I started downloading it earlier on my PlayStation, and you know what pisses me off? You only get two campaign missions and part of the multiplayer to try for like five days or something, and you have to download all 56 gigs of that goddamn game to your hard drive just to play that little slice that they're giving you for the free like week-long pass or whatever. Oh, really? Is it just two? I thought they let you play the whole campaign. Interesting. Huh. Well, that's a bummer. I mean, I didn't download it, but uh, I heard it was... uh up and around i mean I, I assume you're not able to access it past this weekend is that true Yeah, i think it's like the 19th or 20th so i mean by the time the show goes up if you're listening you probably only have like a day or two left to play it um but uh i mean i'll probably play it tonight but uh, if i remember correctly on the sony site it said you only got two missions of the campaign but i'm interested in that game so i'll be excited to see if those two missions kind of sell me on it and maybe i'll put it in my game for, like you to play later cool cool all right who's up next it is Finder. Don't know if I'm saying that correctly. Um, uh, number three is Hearts of Iron Four. That's four, right? That Roman numeral. Yeah, yeah. It's twenty-five, I think. <laughs> Hearts of Iron twenty-five. <laughs> um, Duelist, and number one is Hitman. I'm glad to hear Hitman because I love that game. So good pick on number one. Right on. Next we have Zolbrod, who is also Zolbrod on Twitter. Uh, says my actual game of the year is Persona Five, but I'm going to restrict myself to U.S. releases, which means. His number three is Ratchet and Clank. His number two is Final Fantasy twenty five, <laughs> and his number one is Dark Souls three. Uh, next up is Dave Clem. Oh, Chodius, good old Chodius, Chodius. Uh, um, Dark Souls three, The Division, which kind of shocks me a little bit, and Salt and Sanctuary. It's funny that he has Dark Souls three and Salt and Sanctuary in there because Salt and Sanctuary was notorious as the two D Dark Souls that came out earlier this year. So I'm glad that. He liked it because some people bounced off that game and did not like it very much. You can tell what kind of games he likes. Good old Chode likes the dark <laughs> stuff. <laughs> uh, we had one more last minute uh, entry. He squeaked in right under the wire. It was Mark Stevens, also known as Retro Bleak. He picks uh, Inside as his number three. He picks Uncharted as number Uncharted four as his number two, and he picks Dishonored two as his top game of the year. So those are the top picks of our listeners, but. Before I forget, we did have a question sent in by Game Critics uh, super fan and longtime friend Night Dreamer a few weeks ago. I have to apologize to good old ND because he sent this question in and I had accidentally left it off the agenda. And then I think I left it off the agenda again. Uh, but we're going to get to it right now. So apologies, sir. His question to us is What upcoming PlayStation games would be the best to play while love making? Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> and Corey, you're up first. What do you say, sir? Uh, I don't even this. I was not prepared for this. Um, I don't even know what the upcoming like good PlayStation releases are. I don't. Hmm. I don't have an answer for this. I would uh, like none of them. Um, that's <laughs> if I were really struck for an answer, and this is not an answer because it's not an upcoming game. I would say to download the resident evil 20th anniversary dynamic theme for your playstation because it plays the save room music from the resident evil gamecube remake and just let that soft beautiful piano theme play in the background while love making even though that's not an upcoming game but that is my pick <laughs> I, I i struggled long and, and hard to think about <laughs> long and hard yeah about what my response would be to this. And I mean, I mean, like you, I was kind of like, just man, turn the game off while you're lovemaking. Cause I mean, 
I mean, if it's if it's not good and you need something to keep you busy while you're doing it, maybe you should be doing it with somebody else. You know, like I don't I've never I've never been in the middle of a lovemaking session and been like, you know, I really wish I was playing game right now. I mean, maybe afterwards, maybe before, but not during. Uh, but that was his quiz question was, what should you play? I, you know, like you, Corey, I don't have a list of the upcoming games right in front of me right now. I guess my answer would have to be uh, anything with a really bass heavy soundtrack or anything that has a lot of gunfire and then make sure that the vibrations turned on oh, on your God, controller you. and just, you know, if you need, need to spice it up a little bit, oh, God. there you go. Get into like a little World War II, uh, you know, a really heavy fire section and, you know. Or maybe like uh, something for PlayStation VR. There's got to be some kind of porn game coming out in the future, right? Oh, dude, I'm sure. I mean, maybe not on PlayStation VR, but on the Oculus and all that stuff. I bet there's like a jillion already where. Oh, you know, as a matter of fact, there's actually a thing for that. It's called it's called Teledildonics. Have you heard oh, of that? God, no. What is that? Do I That's, want to know? It's like a genre. No, yeah, well, I don't know. I mean, maybe you do. Who knows? I'm not going to get into that right now. We can save that for after the show if you want to discuss it. But no, teledildonics is the genre where you have any sort of device where you hook it up to a VR thing. And, you know, you're looking at what you would assume you would look at in a virtual porn. And then at the same time, whether you are a guy or a girl or anything in between, you there are several different USB attachments that you attach to your PC. And so when you do a certain function in the game, that little thing that attaches to you, also has a function, and then you kind of, uh, you know, you, you do your thing. There's even some where you can connect with other people. I mean, I think this is already a thing. I don't think this is new, but you can control the device that's attached to someone else, and they can control the device that's attached to you, and then you guys can kind of, you know, I don't know, do what you feel like you want to do. At that time, if you're not in the same room, you can still have some kind of a moment. So that's the thing. I'm sure VR is only going to make that better. Mm. So if you want to research that, Night Dreamer, you can check out Teledildonics and see the various devices which are available to you in your location. Um, but I think our our mutual advice is to turn the games off while lovemaking, sir. Just uh, put put the controller down for a while and, and focus on what you're doing. I'm glad this is so. not a video podcast because I've been making like the grossest facial expressions for the past 45 seconds. <laughs> okay, that is that is definitely going to do it for this installment of the So Video Games Podcast. Thanks very much to everyone for listening. And as always, please send us your thoughts, feedback, ideas, anything else you'd like to. You can reach us at SoVideoGamesPodcast at gmail.com. We are also on Twitter at SoVideoGames. And so, bye from Brad. And bye from Corey. We will catch you guys next week.